Welcome to Miracle Nutrition with Hardy White. I'm Hardy White. Join me now, won't you, as we journey together in the clouds, floating like a, a rigid airship filled with beautiful floating gas. I hope that you will bloat up with me and we can float into another world together. Join me. Yeah. This is the Noir Hardy White Show. Noir. What's Noir? It's dark. There's shadows. Yes, I'm casting a shadow. I want you to use your imagination right now or someone else's imagination. You probably didn't know that. You can borrow or rent an imagination. Some of us lack them. If you weren't born with one, you can have one either installed or you rent it like it's a carpet cleaner. You can rent carpet cleaners too. Steam that carpet clean. And you can do that with an imagination without having to do any work. I imagine I've done work all the time. Do you do that? I think I did that thing I was supposed to do. I dreamed I did it. School was difficult that way. I'm positive I wrote that essay. All right, I'll write it again. And uh, that's the way it was. Now, in a noir movie. Now, these movies started, I guess, 30s, 40s. Endured through the 60s even because now we say, oh, neo-noir. Did it ever stop? Can it be neo if it never ended? I always think about that. Can it be new if it's still I don't know. Uh, yes, it can. It can be, maybe. There, maybe there was a gap. There was a couple of years where we go, don't make noir movies. Why? There's too many of them. We digest the ones we have. I feel that way with melons. Let that melon get down. Now, one of the King Georges made that mistake, and he ate too many melons, and he exploded. And I feel that way with anything. This is how I lose listeners. Say, so, oh, I love your show so much. I binged on it. Oh, no. It's going to, they're going to expand in your psychological belly, in the belly of your imagination. You're going to focus too much attention, and you're going to see, uh, you know, it's just going to be like bad fermented cantaloupe or a honeydew that's now alcoholic or something or producing gas. Oh, my goodness. What strange creatures we are. We are all big gas-producing things. If only we could use that to capture the gas, if only it was lighter than air. That would be amazing. And that happened in Willy Wonka, and they, they, their gas became buoyant. And then as they, as they belched or passed it past wind... They were able to adjust their altitude. Now, isn't that interesting? So it's it either perhaps, this is what I think about blimps and, and dirigibles, zeppelins. I think that we used to be able to harvest our gas internally and, and float and fly, but we've forgotten how. And then we see the Goodyear blimp is just a reminder that used to be us up there, floating among the clouds, all bloated with, we'd be eating all these beans. Because if you look back, a lot of the mainstay diets of our ancestors were beans and other bloaty things. And if they weren't using that for fuel to fly, then what was the point? Just to make fetid uh, gas? I think not. No, our ancestors were more creative than that. And we've lost so many of the old ways. Like what? Like, we don't know. That's the whole thing about losing the old ways. I don't know where the old way. So many old recipes we've lost. What are they? Come on. Come on. That's the whole, they're lost. 
So you can just make them up sometimes and say, well, this is the way Grandma used to do it. I'm pretty sure that, that uh, a lot of the country cooking and stuff that we get at the restaurants is not authentic. Who knows, though? We don't know. I will say this. I'm pretty sure Edward Bernays, the turn of the century, actually lived for 100 years. So I guess the early 20th century PR advertising guy invented the bacon and egg breakfast. So why not? Sometimes the things that we think are tradition have just been sold to us recently. Come on. No, I'm serious. To make a market for some things uh, in advertising, there's an appeal to tradition. And then this appeal to tradition uh, is a lot of times a lie. So say this is your product that your, your grandpa, pretty sure your grandpa bought this. Really? Yeah, oh yeah, grandpa bought that. All right. Yep. I guess I have one. You have to, because commandment said honor father and mother. All right. So if they use this product or ate this food, you should buy it as well. All right. I will then. Yep. Right thing to do. Okay. And we get bullied into eating sort of different things or whatever, and because uh, they're traditional. I know in my f- family, it's the heads of very tiny um, elven people that live in the cabinets. What are they called? The, not the borrowers, something like that. Well, we ate them. We didn't know. And that was out of ignorance. And I know, so how could you eat something that's articulately pleading for its life? I don't know. You just sort of rationalize stuff, I guess. You go, oh, man, I think it's so smart it's dumb. Or it doesn't know what it's saying. I don't know what we, I don't know. And I'm hungry. But now I'm more, more convinced that though they don't always agree with me. Sometimes all I want is a corn chip, and maybe just one. And uh, that's how I serve them to friends now, is just an individual corn chip on a plate. And I don't even let them eat right away. I go, first we're just going to look at it. The most uh, influential performance for me is the Seder, the Passover Seder. I go, wow, you know, you've got people held hostage at your dinner table and they are eagerly awaiting they can smell it so you have aromatic things going and then you subject them to some sort of long story or play first we're going to read some of my bible fan fiction and you get there's nothing they can do give them a pillow i think is compassionate but then they, um, they begin to salivate. So you let them drink a little. You go, you may drink a little. Stop. You don't like that. And they go, go ahead, drink something. So um, that's a nice way to entertain. I wouldn't mind doing that. Dinner theater, but I get to say when you can take a bite. I, you know, I've gone back in a time machine and I talked to Burt Reynolds about it. <clears throat> he had a, um, was this theater or dinner theater? I think it was a dinner theater. Sometimes you have to add some. Sometimes theater's not enough. You say, come on, see my play. I don't know. There's dinner. Um, what else? Um, massage chair. I don't know how. What else would you add on that wouldn't be distracting from the play? You get everyone gets a hat. And what else? Stuff. Swag and the food and the play. And, uh, oh, afterwards, take a walk in our aroma garden. It's very beautiful. It's flowers and all sorts of aromatic plants. Do it. Come on now. It's a beautiful theater. It's a beautiful old theater. It was built in the, um, it was built by Queen Victoria. So a lot of things are Victorian. This was literally built by Her Majesty Queen Victoria with her own two little tiny, tiny chubby hands. And she put it together she says, I'm going to build this. I'm not doing the voice. I'm going to build this theater with my royal, with the royal hand and the other royal hand. And um, she had all her fingers are named. This is royal fatty or I don't know, royal pointy. She's fun. She was fun. I have, I don't mention the time machine much anymore. Why is that? It's funny you would mention the time machine more in the past, Hardy, than now. Well, I'm working backwards, and I have less access to it than I used to. 
How's that possible? Do you understand time? Not really. Okay, then. Why would I explain it to you, then, if you already admit that you don't know? Oh, my God, he admitted it. I love it. So, uh, there we are. Time. It restricts us. It both, it's like a vessel. Not a blood vessel, but I mean like a, like a, those jars that they would keep olive oil in. But they find at the bottom of the Mediterranean that we found an old Roman ship and it still has the vases. People used to put olive oil in vases. Why? I don't know. It's crazy. Eventually they put them in bottles, but they used to have it. What if you thought it was a bunch of flour and by mistake? Flour, F-L-L-O-W-E-R or F-L-L-L-L. Which one? But they used to transport goods in these big jars They did in the Mediterranean. I know this again from time travel in uh, the Roman times. God, I miss Roman times. It's not published anymore. It used to be a beautiful, one of my favorite old uh, newspapers. And it was in Latin and in English. They have two different versions. And the international version, which is in Esperanto, which I don't speak anymore. I can't tell you how many. I don't even remember how many languages I've forgotten. What happened to me is I became a polyglot. And I learned dozens and dozens of languages. And then one day I just woke up and I guess I had learned too many. And they're all gone. It was like the hard drive was wiped. And now I barely know English. And I think I know a smattering of uh, French. Uh, uh, bonjour. Bonjour. Uh, uh, comment ça va? Ça va bien. Oh. Good. Uh, je voudrais acheter un saxo. Ah. Uh, that's it. That's all that's there. And man, I used to do French poetry. I translated French poetry. I wrote French fiction. I translated French fiction. I wrote French prose. I translated French prose. I wrote for the newspaper in France. I read a newspaper in France. I cut up newspapers in France. And then I wrote a book about cutting up newspapers in France. I wrote a fictional account of the newspaper cutting. Then, ultimately, a very long-form poem about the whole thing called France, 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 I forget your language. And uh, that's the culmination of it. And now, the show and me explaining noir to you. As you know, I watched, myself and a few other people watched the original Twin Peaks when it debuted in the uh, 1990, 91. And we were the only ones. No one else saw it. It was fantastic for us a revelation why was it a revelation um because it uh, we were on a lot of drugs and saw we saw personal messages in it and we thought they was telling our fortune and so we thought oh my god it's revealing the future it really wasn't it but very good it has in it well i believe it is a traditional uh noir uh, it, now that I've seen a lot of movies, I can see where things come from, you know. And I watched Burt Lancaster's movie, The Killers, 1946. Burt Lancaster's first movie. Burt Lancaster was born November 2nd, 1913, and I don't remember where. And uh, he made his film debut in 1946, so he's already in his 30s. And here he is, uh, name over the title, I, be I believe. So he's in this movie written by, based on rather, a story by Ernest Hemingway. And Hemingway is not in it, by the way. He's uh, busy. He wouldn't be in it. It's just a short story written by him. The writer doesn't have to be in it. It's nice when they are. Sometimes they'll put the writer in there. Go, oh, that's him in the, in the back in the restaurant scene waving but they don't have to do that that's just a courtesy and uh so this great film and it is noir with long shadows people walk down 
alleyways, you know, casting a, a long shadow. And there's a boxing scene. Now, I don't think there's any boxing in Twin Peaks, which is disappointing, because there usually needs to be at least one boxing scene. But we're going to let that let that slide, because there's another, lots of other things that have been wonderfully. Well, wait a minute. Now, in the third one, Mr. C does punch that guy in the face. That's almost like a boxing. I'm going to count that. That's like boxing. Now, what else? Well, it's a police procedural in the style of, well, many things. This one, I think, is in the, what we would call uh, the Van, S.S. Van Dyne style, and that is where the uh, police are not the central investigator, but somebody else comes in who's an expert and an eccentric and does things a little differently. That sounds like Sherlock Holmes. It's that, too. Now, this is an FBI guy, so this is almost more... Uh, uh, yeah, but I think Van Dyne had a cop character, too. So it's very much like that. And what's a police procedural? Well, that's where they come in and you're the crime. You examine the crime with the uh, person, with the cops. Okay. Got it? Yes. All right. So it's much like that, and it's got a lot of other things and I won't go into. So I'm getting to one very important thing. And that is, in uh, mystery novels and mystery writing and TV, there's something called a locked door murder. And that's where the murder room, there's a murder corpse, what do you call it, a murder victim, in a, it's a dead body in a room, and the door is locked from the inside. But the murderer is not still inside, obviously. So you go in there, and you go, the door was locked. There's no other way in or out. How did they do it? And that's the part of the mystery. And if you can find out, now, there's all sorts of ways to say, well, they, sometimes the murderer is still in there hiding, and they don't realize it. Uh, other times, there's been some way to manipulate the door so you can lock it from the inside while you're outside using some kind of piece of string and then little pins or something. I've seen that. That's in a movie. There's different ways to do it. But what do I mean when I say a locked door, a murder? Do we not sometimes hide from ourselves? A sort of emotional crime scene. Maybe we've let ourselves down by not mailing in our sweepstakes, our Ed McMahon sweepstakes on time. So we're not even in the contest and we feel disappointed in ourselves. And maybe we take that and we put that in a room in our mind palace. And we find some way of locking it from the inside. And we can lock it from the inside because we are our own victims. We are turning on ourself. Oh, you don't ever, I don't want to do that. I don't want you to do that. I don't want to do it. Help me not do it. I will. Right now I will tell you how to become your own noir detective and find out what's going on in your own head. Because sometimes you are a mystery to yourself. Imagine like a noir thing where the cop find out it was me all along. The killer inside me maybe is a little like that. The Jim Thompson thing. Ooh, dark. You're talking about murder and darkness. Well, for me, they're always metaphors. Like, for instance, like a murder is a metaphor for me for death. So you say, oh, you know, life murders you. What a murder. Life is murder. Another thing is um, just like paperwork. That feels like death a little bit. Anytime you're doing something and there's no other people involved and it's taxing and you feel like you're doing it for your survival but you don't get to interact or, uh, uh, with other human beings and you don't get that warmth of the connection that you can make with other souls. That's also bad. So how do we put on our fedora of self-exploration and our... Vest, hol what do you call those, side holster thing that goes under your jacket of a personal uh, spiritual journeying? 
<laughs> I'm trying to give a pep talk to you. Oh, bless you, I'm not the one to do it. What you need to do is, a lot of times in science fiction, if people know their memories are going to be wiped or something, will make a video message to their future selves. And they'll say, oh my God, whatever you do, you're going to encounter someone named Hardy White or something. Don't, like, run. So then you, know, you make a little reminder to yourself in case you forget. And I want to do that all the time and say, hey, future self. But then I'm thinking, why do I want to listen to this guy who knows less than I do? Right? Because I've got more experience than whoever's talking to me here. You know, uh, 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 muck off, youngster. That's the way I look at it. I'm, I'm, I'm the older me, so I'm probably always the most experienced me. Oh, yes, I can hear you out say, who is this voice on the radio? I like what he's saying. I hate what he's saying. I'm listening to what he's saying. Why am I listening to what he's saying? I'll tell you why. I'm stuck in traffic. Why am I stuck in traffic? I'm stuck in traffic because I have to get home. Why do you have to get home? Good question. Good God. We laugh together. But you know, because uh, we are in wonderful and awful ruts, it does seem like we are just occupying some sort of room in a robot, and the robot's going through its life and doing all these things it has to do, and we hope, oh, I hope the robot does something pleasurable, like eat uh, custard. What kind of custard? Good custard, not not not... Not fake custard made with thickener or anything, but somebody who took the time to really stir their eggs. I hear you. I made, uh, a lot of times you'll go to make custard and inadvertently make scrambled eggs, and the opposite happened to me the other day. I was trying to make scrambled eggs, and I, I accidentally made custard. But that's fine, too. You know, you don't, the outcome isn't always planned. Hello, friends, and welcome to the radio premiere of Hardy White's What You Gonna Do With That Gun, uh, a noir act in one scene. Here it is. Hey, what are you going to do with that gun? I have nothing, I hope. Put it away. We don't need it where we're going. We're going to do a sort of like, uh, now there are guns in Twin Peaks. The, the FBI agent has a revolver when he starts, and then, this is very interesting, so the actual FBI switched over from, like, uh, that kind of snub-nosed um, thing that he has, 357 or something, and then it goes to, a, uh, you know, the semi-automatic kind with the clippy-clip and everything. Uh, uh, I forget what kind I'm trying to think of the make, but I'm not a gun guy. So, but that the, anyway, the Twin Peaks does a switch at the same time that the actual FBI was doing the switch in real life. Isn't that interesting? So this could only this is something that had to happen in 1990. So from the first to the second season, they took into account that the actual FBI had changed their guns. Why would anybody know? I guess there was a small kerfuffle about uh, a kerfuffle. I know I said it on I said it wrong on purpose. About the about their firearm, and they were up, kind of upgrading or something like that, or they had upgraded and it didn't go well. So it made the news. So it was something that was culled from the newspaper, much the way a Johnny Carson monologue or a late night talk show host looks and say, "What's in the news? Let's joke about it today. What's in the news? Oh, the world's ending. Let's make up some jokes about that." And they do, and it's fun. And then they have people come on who are promoting their new projects. What are you up to? Well, I got a new movie coming out. Tell us about this movie. It sounds exciting. It's about a couple who meets on the set of a Hallmark Christmas movie. And then what happens? Well, they get a they get some kind of disease, and they just uh, they start uh, it's some kind of hemorrhagic fever, but it's not Ebola. Uh, we made it up, and that's uh, awful. And that's it. Yeah. Well, it begins badly for everybody. But it's, you said it was like a Christmas thing. Yes, well, there's hope. There is some hope. But then the hope ends, dissipates by the end of the movie. Temporary hope. Can we live with it? Oh, everything is fleeting. 
that's the thing. You say, oh, every time you start talking about something I like, radio person, and then you'll move on to something else. Everything, literally everything in life is like that. It's all fleeting. If you grab, if you grasp at something, you're going to be very disappointed and you're going to find that it's made of clouds. It's made of dreams. It's made of possibilities. We are living in a universe that is just made up of mathematical probabilities. You're just careening through it like that. Isn't that interesting? So uh, uh, nothing's real. Nothing, again, something, nothing's real. Nothing to get hung about. Strawberry fields forever. Basically, that's it. 42, a bunch of other things that are meaningless answers. But they're only meaningless if you fail to interpret them, if you fail to apply them. So you take an answer, and then you make it fit. And you'll go, oh, my gosh, it fits. Don't you? Exactly. Don't you want to live in a place like that? You could take any delusion and make it fit reality. It's very wonderful, and people do. And look at them. There's just so many ways of, of thinking and doing and being and all sorts of cultures all over the world that have the human experience equally wrong but in beautiful variations and colorful and complex and pointless and containing only internal meaning. Uh, it's wonderful. I love it. Let's make something up. Maybe we could do one from scratch. Oh, we could attribute it to history. That's the thing. You have to, it has to be embedded in a past, but the past can be mythical. So, you know, everything has to be tradition, but you can make up things. So, for instance, you know, people have been doing this for time immemorial, really. This is something, this is what I'm about to teach you is actually something that goes back many, many generations. I did not make it up. This is rooted in history, and as we discuss more of it, I will reveal more of the ancient history of this wisdom that I'm about to impart. So that is a thing that um, is done. Uh, so you can, you just, it's beautiful. And when it's done in fiction and movies, we don't notice it. We do notice it. We love it. We just don't realize that it's the exact same thing that's going on in our waking uh, life that's not the movies. So I say, let's, I want to start doing some fan fiction, like self-delusional fan fiction. Maybe make up some good history, history for myself. I admire eccentric figures who make up their own biography they're phony because when someone does give you their even their accurate backstory it came up the other day that I don't often ask people about themselves like what they do or where they've been or where they were born and this is very true and it isn't because I am not interested in people it's because I choose to ask them how they feel right now, what they're noticing, what they're doing, if that, like a shared experience. So if I'm with you, I might say, what do you think of this place? And I really, really want to know. But I won't ask you, tell me your story, because I think that's, you're going to lie to me, because you, perhaps you're lying to yourself. And then you're going to give me some kind of rote regurgitation of all these things that you think would be important to me, a sort of like a, a resume if social resume, well, I was born here, and, and maybe an identity, you know, or you've, uh, I'm New you're from New Jersey, I'm from New Jersey, that kind of thing, a recognition, uh, a shortcut to um, you know, having something in common. But I don't, want, I don't want to have anything in common. <laughs> we already have something in common. We're alive and we're human. Um, I've been to New Jersey, so I would love if you had been somewhere else. And then we could discuss that. Um, and maybe to work that in, you know. But I don't need to know about it immediately. It can come up. So, for instance, let's say uh, you've lived abroad in Shmooland. And we meet, and I say, oh, what do you think of this place? And you go, oh, it's, it's fantastic. It looks like, a sh it looks vaguely shmooish. And I say, well... Oh, have you ever been to Shmooland? And you go, yeah, I've been to Shmooland. That's what I was saying. Uh, um, I've met a guy there, and he was a 
Shmuish architect. And he was telling me about these details up here, the way they do it. They do it with popsicle sticks. Not the kind that we have now, but the very ancient popsicle sticks before they had ice. There was an ice age, and uh, people was an ice trade. That it was That's real, though. You know, they used to harvest ice and, and then ship it as far as possible. And yes, it melted, but it didn't melt completely. And then people would put it in ice chests. There was an ice trade. There was a guy named the Ice King who was like a, a captain of industry who sold ice. I'm not making any of that up. He wore a top hat. Look it up. But uh, that's a very, and now I don't know. I don't think they harvest ice and bring it, you know, down. Can you imagine that? It starts out as like a, just a huge 10 by 10 block of ice or something. And you got Miami. It's an ice, you know, my ice cube came. And then you put it in your drink and. Um, I don't know, it got down to, you ever seen the, in the cartoons and old movies, you see the people with the tongs picking up the blocks of ice, which I don't know, they look like one foot blocks or something. And then you chip off of that when you have your, if you're making the thing that needs ice in it, you can really probably live without ice. At the Henry Clay estate here in Lexington, Kentucky, they've got big pits, um, large kind of basements that you can go into out in the front all brick and and covered and cold and damp at the bottom and what they would do is they would bring ice in from the lakes in the winter and put the ice in there and it would last almost into summer right and so they could have ice cream you could go and uh, ice cream for them was you get some ice you pour some cream on it you know and you just kind of or shavings uh ice shavings and with cream on it and sugar which doesn't sound bad and strawberries and then you talk about, like, you know, I'll say there's going to be a civil war. <laughs> I enjoy your ice cream. I say I am. I say you, I say you aren't. I don't know. Did they have arguments like that? People say, it's funny that people would feel the, feel the need to say I say. It, it's like they're reading the tag, the speech tags in a book. But I guess that's... A, Maybe it's a giveaway that it's that you're in the Matrix or something. All the characters are reading the speech tags, he said. That's weird. I wiped my finger on my eye. Maybe the whole thing is like some sort of play. <laughs> Mike laughed his familiar laugh. I don't know. Maybe it is a play, he said. That kind of thing. I don't know if people talk that way. Probably not. Do you talk that way with your friends? Don't talk that way to me. I don't like your tone. All right. No, I don't like your... I, I always tell people, like, they talk to me and go, I say, I don't like your timbre. And they don't know what they... That'll really stop them. They go, I don't know what you... You know. But tone, sometimes I don't, I, I don't like your tone. I don't like your uh, amplitude too much. My attitude, your... Your attitude and your altitude. Um, my goodness, I was thinking about uh, altitude because I was thinking I taught the uh, I was said this last week about the difference between barometric altitude. You know how high you are above sea level and your actual altitude above the thing that's directly below you. Like when you're so sometimes I'll have really bad gas and I'll be flying over a mountain. Now, my altitude over the top of the mountain, I may be like, oh, you're 100 feet. And then I cruise out and I go, oh, you're back to being 3,000 feet. So um, that's why. Do you, ever, do you ever gas fly anymore? No, do you? Yes. Don't try to gain speed by lighting your emanations. It does not work. Just let your body float like an air balloon, like the Montgolfier brothers are your um, privates and then there and the rest of you is the big balloon and there's a that's your gondola when you're floating just like a macy's balloon they do that too that's probably the inspiration of that you know it's um but popeye popeye got bad gas in his forearms and he'd bloat and that some of us get it in the gut but like and um guys used to get it in their forearms so that's why you had to eat the spinach because you were at sea and everything. And it's just like it's nothing but hardtack and f like pork fat or I don't know what to have. Salt pork. 
and poor Popeye's arms blowed up, and he can float in the parade because Popeye is a big supporter of department stores, which are beautiful entities. Oh, the ones back in the day, like uh, uh, Wanamaker's in Philadelphia or Shilito's in Cincinnati, where they would have a large uh, uh, atrium in the middle. You'd see all the floors. You could stand in the middle and just look up five, six stories. See all the floors overlooked, just went straight up like that. Both of those department stores did that. And I think Wanamaker's had an organ, like a, you know, you know, I don't think they were playing that, but something a little more uh, uh, conducive to shopping. I wonder what that would have been. Um, saving my love for you. Uh, that's what they would play. And then shopping centers still did that. But then, you know, department stores became more claustrophobic and sort of like lowered their ceilings and they still have that spread out thing but it became much more cluttered if you look at pictures of the early department stores the display cases are kind of spread out there's all this like crazy room and everything there's not all this product just jammed in there and i love that it's mainly kind of display and that looks better i think than just you know when you have a whole room of furniture maybe set out and just uh, um, the, the experience being nice, you know. If you're going to have to engage in this kind of like worship of things, it would be nice if it they were it was taking place in something that was museum quality. So shame on you for your cluttered stores. This is what eats away at our psyches: is the terrible, depressing stores that we shop in I mean for groceries and for other things you walk into some of them some of those big box stores some of them are closing now but God walk into a late uh, almost closed Kmart or something like that and just it just I don't I can't describe it because in a way it feels medieval there's such decay but then there's the decay includes the odors of artificial fabrics and fake plastic things that are breaking down and they release certain gases. And so there's this unusual smell to, to manufactured things that are manufactured with uh, 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 petroleum products and everything. And that these stores reek of it because the clothing itself is made of oil and uh, there's a sort of nasty, uh, fetid, um, putrefying rot. You know, not a natural, back-to-nature things. And these stores, and there's still people in them shopping in there. Uh, this is money that they earn, and then they've got to exchange it. I've got to give you this labor, this thing, this money that represents work that I did that made me weaker, uh, diminished me, and now I'm handing it to you in exchange for this sickly uh, garment that is, uh, is awful and is a symbol of contempt that we have for one another. You know, it's not made with any, uh, it's made to be disposable and uh, awful. And then we do that and then live like that and everything's supposed to be the same and you go, I'm going to go get some food. Oh my goodness. What is this experience? And everybody working there and serving you is dispirited and it's not their fault. What's wrong with people's attitudes? Look around. Look around. Everything is is ugly. There's just an ugliness that, that permeates so many things. And I think it's a it comes from a certain uh, cynicism about selling and all that kind of thing. Who knows? But once you lose uh, your the value of caring what other people, how their daily lives go, it's all over. Because then you tolerate anything, you know? And it seems unreasonable to demand just simple beauty. 
<laughs> not corrupted. Well, I'd like, isn't it, could we keep some trees? Oh, come on. You're like it's a luxury. Could we have the water not covered up and turned to a sewer? Come on. So you say, well, who's doing all these things? Well, we're all, we're doing them to ourselves. Well, I'm not individually. I don't know what to tell you. I know this is baffling to me. How do you get through to uh, those uh, manifestations of ourselves over there who are doing it? And I don't know how to, how to do that exactly. How to re-spirit if we were ever spirited. But I know that like stores, let's at least not do this, that. To go to any exit, any interstate exit. And say, are you proud of this humanity? Is anybody proud of this? Look down there. Is this, is this for anybody? Is this ideal? Is this what you want? Do you really think this is just some sort of a logical and inevitable uh, consequence of our life? That we well, if you, well, if you want certain things, you're going to have to tolerate this. Really? Because this seems like all choice. Like everything there is a choice. And I don't know anybody inspired or entertained by it. Uh, I don't know what to say other than uh, uh, let's, do you want to open a bar? Let's open our own bar. Let's have a, let's a little place that everybody, no, let's not do that. I don't want to get anybody excited about an idea. I think that's a very bad thing. Uh, I think it's, it's uh, you know, it's better to just have a feeling. Uh, than to get a specific idea. That can lead you in all sorts of ways. So if you have a feeling, you can bring that feeling to anything and internalize that thing. And that will rise you up and float you around without you ever having to uh, get on any one particular train. You can fly. So it's just about changing your heart. If you can change your heart, all the details come right along with it. Oh, I will change my heart. And what does that mean? I don't know. I don't know. How's it? I'd love that if it was a river running right through. I think I'd take those big box stores. <coughs> I could. I might be able to transform them. What would you do? Okay. First of all, I would move some outdoor indoor. So I would definitely open up part of the ceiling or make it some sort of like atrium or let some sunlight in so that I could have plants inside because that's a wonderful thing. So if you've got trees and foliage inside and even some water, uh, the air is really nice. I mean, I don't. is it great for the products? I don't know. Who knows? Who cares? But, you know, uh, we've got fresh air. There's fresh oxygen in there. And... Um, that's just a better thing. So combine outdoor and indoor. That would be one thing that I would do. Another thing that I would do is I would uh, have people have uh, booths and things. It's nice to mix up uh, local little uh, micro businesses with other stuff because maybe I want, you know, this factory made cereal, but maybe I want my barbecue sauce to be made by um, Jimmy. That's the way I am. Oh, in reality, I want to make my own. I will make my own. Bless you so much. I hope that my show is giving you gas. I f hope that you feel swelled up by it. Do you? And you will, you're going to float with me. Float with me now, will you? Oh, we're getting higher and higher. We are ascending. Use your imagination as we go into the clouds. What, are we are? what height are we at now? We're about... Oh, about a thousand feet. Oh, duck. Here comes about a hundred, going about a hundred knots. Here comes one of those uh, medical helicopters. Get out of the way. Get out of the way. Let's go a little higher. Go a little higher. And we're at uh, a couple thousand feet. About 3,000 feet. What's it? Oh, here comes one of those little uh, little private planes. Oh, let's go higher. Let's go higher. Oh, we're at 30,000 feet. Oh, here comes a passenger jet. Passenger jet. Let's go higher and higher. We get, now we're, now, oh, now we're on the moon. And that has happened to me so many times. It's that, I guess I, get, I don't know what happens, whether I zone out and all of a sudden I'm outside of, how do you get outside of Earth's atmosphere without a thrust? 
Well, I guess what happens is I release the gas and that, bloop, I'm on the moon. Now, how do you get off the moon? Oh, they have play. They have um, they have little stand. They have food trucks, and you just you reverse the process. Oh, it helps to know physics. My high school chemistry teacher was the first one to ever mention that the word physic also meant something that you take for your bowels or your stomach or something. And he would just laugh. He was in World War II, and he would laugh a lot at this joke about physics. You're going to take physics? And, we, and I'd go, no. And he'd go, why? Something wrong with your gut or something like that. And I'd go, I just said no. Jerk. No, I didn't call him jerk. He did give me a C just because I didn't understand chemistry or do well on the tests. I resent that. Come on. Social promotion, please. I would like an A. If you've ever taught, you know, students will say that. I know I have a C, but I'm just telling you that if I get a C, I lose my car. And they go, well, we don't want that. No. So it's either you give me a C, which I earned. You did earn the C. And I lose my car. Or you give me an A, and I keep my car. All right. Well, that's a good, I'm going to take that into consideration. Thank you for pointing that out. I tried. C was my best. Okay, I'm going to completely take that into consideration because if you did your best, I'm conflicted. I don't know what that is, um, but we're going to bless you so much. I want to bless you, my listener, that you're listening to me at all. I don't know that you how much you, you know that that means to me. That Do you know that? I do. I don't. I'm new. Okay, well, it means a lot. Because I believe that the sort of relationship we have and the type of show this is, is something that is a bit of a miracle. And it's called Miracle Nutrition. And the miracle doesn't refer to the nutrition necessarily. It might refer to the actual existence of this radio program and our interaction and the way that I'm speaking to you, which is not a way that you are spoken to in the media or at church or in your dreams, or maybe in your dreams, or in the movies. It's not unique. I didn't say it was unique. I said it's not the way that you're often spoken to. You didn't say often. Okay. I feel, though, I am speaking to you in a way that is different than a lot of the things that uh, interactions we have. And it slows you down a little bit is what I'm hoping, the way that there's a thing called slow cinema. And, you know, it's movies that take their time. Sometimes they're very long. And you say, well, nothing's happening. That's not it. It's just you have to adjust your attention span. Because, you know, if you go from, like, um, zip, bam, bam, boom, uh, Transformers, you're not going to be able to take in something that's uh, Ozu or something that's a little more deliberately paced. But when we adjust that and we slow down a little bit, the experience can actually be richer because there's more things to take in and um, I think it sticks more which is one of the reasons that people had a legitimate beef with Sesame Street when it aired and the problem with Sesame Street said some people including maybe even the Mr. Rogers supporters that it, it there was too many quick cuts that it was just too frenetic and manic for children it would get them all worked up because you know the people's uh one of their nightmares back then was energetic children like if children were like ah, da, 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 they didn't know oh it scared them so they didn't want the kids all worked up and everything and thought that maybe this would not be good for their they wanted children with long attention spans which is not necessarily a bad thing you know because we uh, are i think as a c culture and uh, maybe even species sort of losing our ability to concentrate for very long and this is really weird and scary but ask people who do any kind of long form thing whether people pay attention and it's uh i don't know mixed bag who are these people i don't know i'm speaking for myself but I may have come with a very short attention span. I think that's something I was born with. Oh, what a blessing. Or I think it could be a Capricorn thing. 
Who knows? So much of what we think is psychology is astrology. Are you sarcastic? I'm not being anything. Bless you. I'm so sorry. I'm just being silly. I... This radio show is at odds with itself in a lot of ways. And I am internally conflicted as well as artistically conflicted. Because in many ways, I am anti-story. I'm even anti-entertainment sometimes. I like to destroy expectations because I'm not sure that they're as helpful as we think they are. I want to take people down a garden path that leads nowhere. And I want them to get past their resentment to a place of aha where they realize that I am only annoyed because I guessed wrong and the limitations of my imagination are causing me to have expectations that are unfulfilled because they are wrong. And they're doing me in. And I'm dissatisfied because my, my delusion doesn't match other people's delusions. Welcome to the world of dreams. Oh, try to bring evidence of your dreams back into this world or do it the other way around. Seems there is an impenetrable barrier between those two experiences. It seems like almost like there's levels of experience. I wonder if there are. So let's say you're in your dream and you're kind of aware you're dreaming and there might be another level beyond this that this is maybe a slightly diminished or, you know, nonspecific, generalized uh, world and that there's a level above it or something. I wonder if in your dreams you're aware, you know, you're dreaming in your dream kind of thing. I wonder if you're, there's a... a even lower levels, more abstract levels that you're aware of in your dream. What are you talking about? I'm just saying, you know, it's the, um, you know, it's difficult to know what you're having awareness of. That's all I'm saying. Say, well, I don't, I don't think I'm dreaming. I don't know. That's that's the wrong word. You know, but I don't know uh, what this experience is. But I'm trying to give you comfort by saying that there are many who believe that uh, there is no real right answer. (laughs) Don't worry about it. It's not an answerable question. Oh, why is it? Who knows? What can I do it? You take it to the logical conclusion. Oh, I just want your heart to be unfettered. I just don't want you to suffer because you feel like you're not enough for the world that you're in when you suit it perfectly. You just don't realize where you are. You're perfectly where you should be, and you're really perfect at it, even when you're messing it up. Are you right? Why not? Who cares? Prove me wrong. So there you go. I know. You're saying you can imagine more of things. and Yeah, just delude. It's all right. Oh, the, I'm saying a lot of the real things may be delusions. So, add with them with how, how? Give me an example, Hardy, of of a healthy self-delusion. Well, I think if it helps you be more aware or compassionate, I think it's not wrong to sort of um, romanticize you. you yours and others' existence. So you say, maybe I'm special. Maybe I'm a sort of wizard. And, and my spells are that I, I, f- I feel I direct my thoughts and energy towards something I want to happen that's positive. So let's say a friend is in need. I say, I use my wizard spells and I say, 
that friend in need, I am going to concentrate my thoughts and efforts on that friend's need, and, and that might make something happen. I'll think about, let's say they've had a loss or something, and uh, they're discombobulated, and maybe they can't. I'll bring them something. I will manifest a tuna casserole and bring it to them. I will manifest deviled eggs spell, and I will bring that. And all these beautiful things that we do, these are amazing, life-transforming gestures we do when we help one another and lift one another up, especially in, in, in hard times. And who's to say that we are not working a sort of magic? Who's to say that this isn't a, a, a beautiful and uh, important and a super heroic kind of thing? Don't downplay your power, especially your power to help and heal. You know, you may never have used it. You don't know what good you can do. There's people that, um, when I'm feeling down or something, or I'm feeling like, oh, I'm, I suck or whatever. There's people that might say something to me, like a small word of encouragement. Say, you know, I just wanted to tell you, I was thinking about you, I wanted to tell you, and they write you a little something. It might be very small to them. They may not think that that does anything. Oh, he probably won't even read it. You know, and it could absolutely save my life that day. So, you know, if you want credit for those acts, you might be out of luck because you don't always get credit for the good that you do. But you can have immense power if you don't require that. If you don't require any recognition for your magic spells that make people's lives better, oh, then you have You'll have such power, you'll want to go around bragging about it, but you can't. Ah! It doesn't work that way. Isn't that lovely? So uh, I'm, I'm telling you, that's my, you know, that's my advice to you. If I was going to have to give advice on the radio, which to me seems like death penalty. Don't do that. I would listen to people and tell you how to live your lives, you know. Uh, people call in. I just I got problems. All right, tell me about your problems. Well, I'm trying to sell uh, sell some real estate. Okay, what kind of real estate? Oh, uh, a shop, small uh, shopping center. All right, and uh, what's the problem? Well, none of the shops are rented out, and uh, uh, one of them is it's a vacuum cleaner repair place, and that's the only thing that's left. Everything else is, and I'm just not making money. Is it paid for? Are you still paying a, a note on it? No, I'm just paying, but I am paying property taxes, and I just really, right now, I just want to be rid of it. Okay, so what are you, uh, what are you asking? Well, I'm asking uh, uh, how I should fix my heart. Okay, well, fix your heart, uh, and, um, and then just, you know, put it on the market and whatever. Oh, bless you, you see why I can't really give specific advice like that. And maybe if I'd lived longer and had more hobbies, I'd be able to help you out, and you could be like... Um, people are awfully pragmatic and utilitarian. You know, they want everything to be sort of car talk. You can laugh and joke, but at the end of the day, I want you to tell me whether I should get my oil changed. Get your oil changed. And now I'm going to guffaw like a hyena. Yeah, people are sort of a little bit too obsessed with learning, I think. You know, like making the most of their time. Well, I'm going to drive it in the car. I better have some kind of tape on this. I'm going to get a lecture. I'm going to listen to a... Uh, uh, a college lecture. Oh, you got to be kidding me. You have this opportunity to be in total silence or just sort of be alone with yourself and your thoughts and everything, and you're going to, I need to learn something. Why? Come on. No, you don't. <laughs> Shut it off. Oh, you've spent your hour wisely because now you're just sort of confused, mildly amused, confused, and, and uh, agit slightly annoyed. It's beautiful. That gets you totally, you're totally prepared for anything now. Oh, I love you, my friend, and you are listening to Miracle Nutrition with Hardy White on WFMU, East Orange, WMFU, Mount Hope, 91.9 in Rockland County, and New York City, New York, and online at WFMU.org, Worldwide Freeform Radio, the way you, I'm choking, I'm choking. But I'll still be back <laughs> next week. Oh, this is the best part of the...
the best part of the show to start choking is at the end. I love you. See you again next week.
You know. I don't wanna stop. 